So let's look at the passage before us. That is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A little bit of context before we get into this. The book of Romans is a fascinating study in our salvation. And what we find in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is really a doctrinal section that is so inclusive and so powerful. If you haven't read it lately, I really encourage you, go back and read the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans because it talks about the grace of God. It talks about the mercy that He gives us as poor, wretched sinners. And it talks about how God takes us as poor, wretched sinners, gives us justification, that is, declaring us righteous in Christ Jesus, and all of that comes by faith, not our works. And that is a major theme in the book of Romans, that we don't earn our salvation. God gives it to us freely, and in giving it to us freely, He bestows upon us His grace and His mercy. So that's really the first 11 chapters. It's sharing the grace of God, the power of God. But then as we come to chapters 12 through 16, and by the way, that's not going to be our series this summer, 12 through 16. We're just kicking it off with the first two verses of this section. But what we find in chapters 12 through 16 is really the practical outworking of our salvation. If God has done all of this in us, then how should we respond to God? How should we live? That's what Romans chapters 12 through 16 really speak to. And I wish we had time to go through all of it, but there's so much packed into just those first two verses of chapter 12, that was about all I could take without keeping you here all day, and I know you're thankful for that. (laughs) Now, when we look at this series. It's changed lives and changed minds. And what we want to see this morning is this. Changed lives come from changed minds. A lot of us take a surfacey approach to changing our lives. It's very much like an iceberg. We look at our behaviors represented by that top portion of the iceberg, and we say to ourselves, well, you know, if I could just change that behavior then everything would be fine and I would be able to live righteously and do the right thing. If I could just take care of the behavior, I can really change. And so what do we do? We decide to address the behavior. And initially when we address the behavior, we might do pretty well for a little bit. But trying to change ourselves from the outside in results in failure. It's like shaving off the top part of that iceberg. What happens? It just pushes right back up. And there's more iceberg. Why? Because our beliefs determine our behaviors. If I can't address the sinful beliefs that cause sinful behavior, then I will never change. I have to go into the mind in order to change my life. And that's what God describes in this text that we're looking into this morning. Now, as we come to the first verse of this 12th chapter, the Word of God speaks to us about the right outlook on how we're to live. How should we live? And why should we live the way that we do? I don't know about you, but when somebody tells me to do something and there's not a reason behind it, 
I am not highly motivated to do it just for the sake of doing it. As a matter of fact, it wears thin. It gets old really quick if I don't really see a good reason behind it. What we find here in the Word of God as the Apostle Paul starts this whole section on changed behavior, changed lives, what they look like, he wants us to go back and see the reason for living these changed lives. As a matter of fact, what he's calling us to do is to respond to what God has done for us with gratitude. So look at this first statement here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, the therefore points us back to all that he has been saying in these first 11 chapters, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And what he's saying to us is this, on the basis of all that God has done for us, we should have the following response. And he's appealing to us to do that. Now, other translations render this urge. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. It's a word that means to entreat, to implore, to call someone to something. And that's exactly what the Word of God is doing here. He's calling those who have a personal relationship with God, who have experienced the truth of God's salvation in their lives on a personal basis to respond to God. You know, it's very easy for us to collect theological information. It's easy for us to grasp many of the concepts. But if all we do is grasp theological concepts without seeing them begin to take residence in our hearts and change our lives, then we've accomplished nothing. God wants there to be a connection between the truth that God gives us in His Word and the way that I practically live out my life on a day-to-day basis. And that's what He's calling for in this passage. And look at our motivation. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, those mercies have been explored throughout the book of Romans to this point, and God's mercy is awesome. When we look at how God has lavished upon us His grace, it's described in God's Word in that way. As we look at the way God doesn't always give us what we deserve, but He shows mercy to us as broken people. It's amazing when we think about how loving and how wonderful and how good our God is to us. So here's our motivation. If God has done all of this for us, doesn't it make sense to respond to Him with gratitude? Now, I don't know about you, but with me, I am much more motivated to be loyal to somebody out of gratitude than coercion. Many of us view our relationship with God through the lens of coercion, and we feel like, hey, if if I don't do this, then bad things will happen. And that lasts for a while, but you know what? It eventually plays out, and we just can't keep it up, and we forget about it. But man, 
when I look at all that God has done for me, and I have a heart of gratitude, and I am saying, thank you, God, for your forgiveness and for my salvation, that is a motivation that lasts. We don't want to hold God in contempt. And let me say this to you in all love. If I am not grateful to God for what He's done for me, then I'm holding Him in contempt. I'm not looking accurately at God and really understanding what He's done for me. A heart that really understands what God has done for him will well up with gratitude and we will express praise from within to the God who has done so much for us. And that's what this passage is calling us to consider right at the onset of the passage. So, what is the appropriate response to God? As we go on in this first verse, it shares with us that we are to refuse to live selfishly and we're to live sacrificially. So, let's look at this. We are urged by the mercy of God to do something. And here's what we're urged to do, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the language of this passage is so important for us to grasp. The word that is used here in the original language for present is a word that carries with it the idea of sacrifice in the worship of God. It was a term that was used often in the Old Testament of bringing a sacrifice and laying it before God in worship. This is what we're to do with our bodies spiritually in coming to God. We are to look at ourselves we are to recognize that I am not my own. I was bought at a price. And this was the perspective in the Old Testament of a sacrifice when it was given to God. The sacrifice was viewed as this is God's. It belongs to Him. And I return it to Him as worship and praise. That's the way we're to view our bodies. We belong to God. We are not our own. We were bought at a price by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So as a Christian, I'm to look at myself and understand that I am to give worshipfully to God because I belong to God. I am not to take my body and use it selfishly, but I am to use it sacrificially in order to honor the God who has done so much for me. Earlier in Romans, the Apostle Paul talked about this tension that exists between selfish living and sacrificial living. And this is what he says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions, do not present the members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, I'm not to take the parts of my body and use them in a way that is contrary to honoring God. I am to honor God with all that I am, with all that I think, with my body, and it's to be an instrument, an implement that God uses for good, for what is right. The text goes on. Present yourselves. Now, there's that word again. Present yourselves to God as those 
who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So this is what God's Word is telling us. This body is no longer meant to be dedicated to sin. This body is meant to be dedicated to God. Something else. When this text speaks of our bodies, it reemphasizes the idea of this sacrificial living by the Word of God going on and saying that we are to be living sacrifices. Now, this term, living sacrifice, what does it mean? The idea is, moment by moment, I am to sacrifice myself to God. Listen, living sacrificially as unto God is not a one-and-done proposition. I need to make decisions moment by moment in the moment about how to sacrifice to God. And listen, I don't bat a thousand on it. I'm not even a 500 hitter. (laughs) We all fall short of this. But this is to be our goal. We're to look at our bodies as a way to honor God, to bring praise and worship to Him. That's what God is calling us to. But you know, the word living in the original language also carries with it a different connotation. Not only does it have the idea of having life in it, but it can be expanded to the idea of health, that we are to be a healthy sacrifice. And you know, as I thought about that other meaning for this word, I thought of an Old Testament passage of Scripture. In the book of Malachi, some of you know him as Malachi, the Italian prophet, and this is what the Scripture says. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Do you see what's going on? In this passage, the people were bringing sacrifices into the temple, kind of a rote experience. I'll do this because I'm expected to do this, right? But rather than taking anything of value, they would look through the flock and they would say, oh, this one's lame. So, I'm not going to have any value in it. I'll give it to God. It was a leftover. It was, I can't really use this. Maybe God can. And as we look at that, we say, well, how can somebody do that? How can somebody live in that way? The text goes on to say this. After we do this lame sacrifice figuratively and literally, it says, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Here's the idea. Look, you're not being grateful. You're not recognizing that that flock belongs to God and I need to give him the best out of the flock. You're taking something that has no value and a leftover, and you're saying, okay, here, God, take it. And you know, as I thought about this passage of Scripture, I thought, how many times as a believer do I do that same thing to God when it comes to sacrificing my body? 
Sure, I got a couple of bucks left over at the end of the week. I'll throw it into the plate. I got a little extra time after my hobbies and my work and, you know, me time. I'll carve out just that little thin slice for God. That is not a living sacrifice. That is not sacrificial living. Sacrifice costs us something. It has value to us, and we surrender it to God. But more than that, we recognize that the time and the health and the abilities that I have were all given by God. So He gets first in the way that I use them. Everything should be viewed through that lens. That's the right idea. Then the text goes on with this statement, which is your spiritual worship. And the point that I derive from that is right living is the highest form of worshiping God. Listen, we can come into church and we can worship and we can mail it in while we're worshiping, right? I'm mouthing the words. My posture is whatever I'm told to do by the group that I'm with. If they say stand, I stand with them. If they say sit, I sit with them. If I'm supposed to raise my hand, I can raise my hand. If I'm supposed to stand stoically, I can stand stoically. Whatever I'm in, I do it. But my mind can be a million miles away. I'm not even going to suggest things that we can think about so that you don't think about them during the sermon. (laughs) But haven't we found ourselves doing that? Automatic pilot when it comes to worship. The idea that is being expressed in this text when it says this is your spiritual service of worship is this. It's translation of a word that we get our word logic from this word that is translated spiritual worship. Some translations even render this, this is your reasonable service. And the idea behind this is this is the only life that makes sense. Real worship of God is a conscious decision to lift God up and to honor Him. And it's ongoing. It's not looking and saying, well, it's worship time, so it's time to worship God, and we do the stuff that we're told to do. And then we don't think about Him again until we come again and we're told to do it again. Real worship is from the heart, and it's consistent. And I would submit to you that if my worship of God during the week isn't where it needs to be by living sacrificially to Him, then Sunday, I'm going to be mailing it in every Sunday because I'm not thinking about the God who is. Well, there's a lot in that first verse, but just wait. Now we come to verse 2. And as we come to verse 2, really, I see verse 2 as an explanation of how I pull off verse 1. The only way I can live sacrificially The only way that I can truly 
worship God in the way that I should and view my life in the context of my salvation that God has provided so freely is to have my mind renewed and transformed by God's power. And what I find fascinating in this second verse is that the Word of God begins this part of the text by discussing a roadblock to a renewed mind, and that is conformity to the pattern of this world. Look carefully with this. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, we're going to pause right there for a minute, and we're going to talk about what conformity means. For many of us, we think in terms of conformity as going along to get along, but that's not the word that's used here. The illustration that is used in this text of conformity is to take an object that has an image in it and then to take something and press it into that mold. And when you pull out the clay or whatever you've put into that template, it reflects the image of what it was pressed into. What the Word of God is telling us in this text is we are not to be conformed by this world. Now, I find the way this is framed very interesting. It says, don't be conformed. In other words, the world is actively trying to shape and mold my thinking in a way that is contrary to God. It's the one that's doing the action to me, but I have the responsibility of either putting up with that and engaging in that or resisting it. And what the Word of God is calling us to do in this text is resist it. Refuse to allow the thinking of this world system to shape and mold your thoughts. Why? Think about what drives this world system. John wrote the following, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. God does not want us to allow the world to take our thinking and cause us to think the way it thinks. That's the idea of Scripture. And we need to consciously resist the work of the world to take us and shape us and mold us. Now, how does this happen? You see it in media all the time. Media, be it television or social media or other things, tries to guide the thinking of those who expose themselves to these things. There is a thought process, a worldview that is being driven by those systems. And as a child of God, I am not to allow those thought processes to guide my thinking so that I join in on the groupthink that is a part of this world system. I should have a different worldview. And it should be God-centered, not self-centered. The world drives us 
towards self, the lust of the flesh, desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, looking at things and just wanting them and coveting them, the pride of possessions or the pride of life, as some translations render this. That's what drives the world, and that should not be what drives me. I should think differently. That's why the Apostle Peter said this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, there's that idea of conformity once again. It goes on to say, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Believers should think differently and live differently. That's the message of God's Word. But you know what I find as believers and as a believer myself? It's subtle. Things that were unthinkable in my youth that I said, that'll never come up as something to discuss or consider, are now completely acceptable, and there's a huge change. And I'm not talking like the old gray-haired Pastor Rob, you know. I, I'm, I'm talking about shifts in Christian principles that are tethered to the Word of God. We can't allow our value system and our beliefs to be changed by this world. That is backwards. What God would have us do is change this world by the values and the teachings of Scripture. And so what the Scripture is telling us is, don't let it press you into its mold. You know, a science experiment that's very cruel but very illustrative is to take a frog and put them in a pot of water. And if you incrementally increase the temperature of the pot of water, guess what? The frog will just stay there hanging out. As a matter of fact, you can cruelly kill the frog by bringing the water up even to a boil, and the frog dies. Now, take the frog and put him in even warm water, and plunk, you know, jumps right out. What a picture of what happens to us in our thinking. Incrementally, the world changes our worldview, bringing it into conformity with itself. If we think differently, if we live differently, there is pressure from the world to live like it lives. So, the first part of that second verse, when it says, do not be conformed to this world, is a warning to us that there is an active process by the world, but there can be a passive response in us that just allows it to happen, and this is not what God would have us do. Second point, real change in thinking comes with God's transformation process. I love this part of the passage. In contrast to being conformed to the world, which, by the way, is an outside-in transformation that they're trying to do, God instead has an inside-out transformation for us, and that's what we're called to experience in this text. Now, notice it says, 
be transformed. The idea is there's someone outside ourselves that's doing the changing. And who might that person be? Who changes us to be more like God? Okay, we're in church. There's a real safe answer. God. (laughs) And that's exactly what this text is talking about. God in the person of the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out, not from the outside in. As a matter of fact, the word transformed is such an interesting word in the original language. I know you've heard it if you've taken biology. It's the word metamorphosis. That's the word we get our word metamorphosis from, almost directly from the Greek. And you know what that means? It means a, a, a change from within. So, you take a caterpillar. You know, last year on our deck, we had the coolest caterpillars. They ate all of our parsley, but it was worth it because we saw these beautiful green caterpillars all over the parsley. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Now, Ashley and the girls took some of those caterpillars home, and guess what happens to that caterpillar? It spins a cocoon, change takes place, and it comes out of the cocoon a beautiful monarch butterfly. It changed from within, and it was glorious on the outside. Now, what would happen if you would take that same caterpillar and you say, I'm going to make this a butterfly. I'm going to glue butterfly wings on it, and I'm going to tape little butterfly legs on that caterpillar, and I will have a butterfly. You take that caterpillar, and you throw it up into the air and splat. It doesn't work, right? You can't change it from the outside in. God does the work of changing it from the inside out. And that's what God does with us. God changes us from the inside out. We are transformed. And look at how we're transformed. The Scripture says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know what it means to renew your mind? When I think of renewal, I think of taking something that's kind of old and crusty and shining it up and renewing it in that sense. That's not what this word means in the original language. It means replacement. So here's the idea. I have wicked thoughts that I have from my own sin nature, but also that the world has trying to, been trying to work on me to conform my thinking to the world's thinking. And all of those things are kind of going on in my head. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, identifies those sinful thoughts and beliefs and replaces it with God's truth. That is the renewal process. That is how God changes us. Now, this be transformed is the work of God in our lives. But listen, we still take an active role in responding to what God does. My active role is submitting to God. As the Holy Spirit brings up the Word of God and says, hey, this is what God's Word says and this is what you're doing, I'm to yield to what the Spirit of God has said in my life. And I am to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. The moment I see that sin, I say, God, 
here I go again. My mind is messed up by sin. Change my thinking. I yield to your work in my life. That's the idea. This is what God wants us to do, to experience that renewal, that transformation. Final thought I want to share with you in this passage, and that is this, resolutely live out God's Word. Look at the last part of this passage. And after it talks about this transformation of the mind, this resistance to conformity, this renewal of our minds, something happens. God tests us. It says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Now, there are some people who have taken this passage of Scripture and they have interpreted it to mean that when I really am thinking the way God thinks, I'll be able to make decisions like what restaurant to go to after church. And I'll be in God's will about that kind of choice. That's not what this passage is talking about at all. What the Scripture is sharing with us is this. I will be able to look at the Word of God. I will see it being tested in my life, and I will see its value. I will discern the value of God's Word, but I will also have further insight into how the Word of God is applied to my life. Listen, the only way that you can grow in your understanding of the Word of God is to yield to it, and to watch the Spirit of God work in your heart and in your mind and in your life to change you. And when we do that, we're able to test and approve the will of God. We are able to do what is good and acceptable and perfect, meaning mature, meaning complete. Listen, God wants the child of God to live in response to Him. I think for many of us, especially when we've been a believer for a long time, we think that it really doesn't matter what I do, how I live, how I think. We find ourselves becoming sloppy in the way that we obey we find ourselves compromising in the values that we ought to hold sacrosanct and that we ought to look at and say, this is God's truth, and it needs to be respected not only verbally but in my life. We find ourselves going on automatic pilot. And this morning, I would encourage you, reflect Ask God, have I been going on automatic pilot? Have I been mailing it in when it comes to my spiritual life? Or am I living gratefully, yielding to the transformation that God brings to my heart and my life by the power of His work in me? Listen, God steers a moving, obedient believer much better than one who is resistant or lazy. So God is calling us to respond to Him, to live in the light of this truth.
Are you being conformed or transformed? It's an answer only you can make. If you're living a conformed life, you will not lead a sacrificial life. Impossible, can't be done. But if you're being transformed, no sacrifice is too great to honor God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. May we live sacrificially, not selfishly. May we live with transformed lives brought about by the renewal of our mind through the power of your word, not being conformed to the pattern of this world. And Lord, we do pray these things and thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen.